The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, folks, great to see you here today. Uh, I'd like to begin by uh, telling you a story. As soon as we get... This time wasn't my fault, right? It wasn't your fault, exactly. There you go. Okay. One of the good things about City Bible Forum is how seamlessly we use technology. So true. There you go. How are we going? Is this right? Ah, yes. There we go. I want to begin by telling you a story kind of from a distant time when things were simpler and I was at high school. Uh, Grafton High School, entree ad finem, strive to the end. Grafton, the city of jacarandas, where it's beautiful to see jacarandas as long as they're in someone else's yard. Uh, <laughs> as branches break off them and crush cars and that, all that beautiful purple turns into squish on the ground. But anyway, that's another story. Grafton High School, uh, 1973. You've got this many, like... 30 or 40 year nine students in a technical drawing class. And we've all got set... And Mr Wheeler was our teacher, and uh, he, he was OK, but Mr Wheeler was the industrial arts master, and he was continually being called out for long periods of time. And if you can imagine 30 year nine boys in a tech drawing class with no teacher, all armed with lethal weapons. Compasses with steel points, uh, and a, it was a T-square that you slide up and down and... It was just pandemonium. And, and it, it, we'd, always, we'd have someone who was supposed to be the cockatoo, as they call it, would stand at the door and watch when Mr Wheeler was coming back and you'd get your ten seconds to get back in your seat. And went, well, one particular day, it was just out of control. In fact, I think the, the, the war had actually spilled outside as well and we didn't see him come back. And he's walked in and said, right, you, 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 me, you, 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 you and you, right, up to Mr Heath. And, Mr. and I still remember that kind of, oh, no. So about eight of us get sent to the deputy headmaster. And in the olden days, you got caned, OK? Like it was going to hand out. And poor old Mr Heath, he was a really old guy, even older than me now, I think. And uh, he'd just come back after a heart operation. And uh, I, remember, I remember these mixed feelings about terror at being caned and then thinking, he's going to fit. And he got a bit wobbly and he had to cane eight of us. So, uh, if you're not ready... And the judgment day comes, it can be very uncomfortable. And that's actually what Jesus talks about today, uh, in a much, much bigger scale, of course. And that is that Jesus talks about, in that part of the Bible that we're going to look at, about his return. Now, lots of people will tell you that they know when Jesus is going to return. So, in 1992, I don't know if you remember that, uh, if, you, if you're old enough, if you remember, there was a Korean group called uh, Vision to the Com- uh, sorry, Mission for the Coming Days. And they leafleted, actually made quite a lot of noise about the fact that Jesus was due to return on the 28th of October, 1992. I don't want to spoil it for you, but he didn't. Okay? And uh, it was fairly embarrassing for them. A lot of people upset, crying. I know you want to put your arm around them and say, cheer up, it's not the end of the world. But uh, anyway. They... There's, lots of people who, there's lots of people who mock the idea of Jesus' return. Okay, so, you know, here's the T-shirt, Jesus is coming, look busy. There's others who just plain deny it. He's dead, it's been 2,000 years, he's not coming back, get over it. 
So it's kind of people will mock the idea. At the same time, others will tell you that they know when he's going to be back. So um, um, Mr. Camping, uh, what's his first name? Um, Harold. Harold Camping uh, in the United States. I think the last kind of big fuss about this happened May 21, 2011. There were even huge billboards saying he'd worked out exactly when Jesus was returning and it didn't happen. So how do we try and make sense of this? I suppose what I want to ask you today is to think, do you actually, do you believe that Jesus will return and bring the judgment day? It's very hard to stay kind of neutral about it and and shrug your shoulders. Because if it's true, it changes everything. It really does change the way everything. The last uh, three weeks or so in this um, uh, Where's Your Headspace, Jesus teaches uh, to say, don't be afraid of other people and what they might do to you. Uh, Don't be caught up with greed. Don't be caught up with what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. There's something much bigger. All of those things rely on what he teaches about his return. So today, uh, why believe in Jesus' return and how to be ready for it? Uh, Now, on the right-hand side of your program is kind of an outline as we work our way through what Jesus teaches in Luke 12, um, or it'll be on the screen as well. And as usual... It's not hard to understand what Jesus is saying. It's just that what he says is so kind of challenging and provoking as usual. So the first thing Jesus begins to say is, be ready for the master's return. He says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Actually, literally, in the original, what he says is, have your loins girded. You think, well, what does that mean? In fact, if you pick up a, a King James Bible, it'll say that, have your loins girded. What does that mean? If you're dressed in a robe, or I assume a long skirt, it's very hard to run or to work. It keeps getting in the way. And so uh, Google it, you can actually find instructions on how to gird your loins, which means to kind of pull up the robe, move it um, you know, between your knees, pull it around and tie it off at your hips level so that you can run or work. Jesus is saying, have your loins, go- be ready for action. Be ready to go, to run, to work, uh, be alert, keep your lamps burning. Why? It says, well, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding, a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Now, as he talks about, uh, he's talking to his disciples, to those who would follow him. You tell that earlier in the chapter. And he's saying, well, those who follow him like servants, ready for the boss to come back. A wedding banquet might have lasted for a week in those days. He's saying, if you come back any time, uh, you need to be ready when he does. Uh, now, uh, it'll be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he'll dress himself to serve. So the boss will serve. And he'll have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It'll be good for those servants who master, whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. Uh, literally, what, uh, what the original says there, this middle of the night or daybreak... Uh, In the ancient world, they divided the night up into um, uh, three or four watches, each each of about three hours. He's saying, well, literally, in the middle of the night or later in the early hours of the morning, be ready. Now, what's he saying? It's obviously a a metaphor or a word picture. Saying if you you follow Jesus, you are actually allowed to sleep. Okay. What's he saying? Be ready. Uh, Be ready for him to return. If you actually believe that Jesus will return and bring the judgment, it, 
it, it will affect not just personally how you see your own life, but how you see the whole kind of history of the, the universe. Because it affects your world view. So in the ancient world, the Stoics, you might have heard someone described as a, as a Stoic, someone who really kind of puts up with things rather than try and changes things. Why? The Stoics believed that the universe and everything about it went in a big circle and things were repeated again and again and again, about every 5,000 years. So you've sat and listened to this talk before and I've given it before and it will happen again and again and around we go and uh, that's why there's no point trying to change anything for the Stoics. Or if you're, if you're an atheist and you believe that there's nothing more than just material, well, inevitably, our world will die a cold death as the sun runs out of hydrogen. And if you want something to worry about, the sun has burned half of its hydrogen fuel already. There's only about five billion years to go, they estimate. So, anyway, I'm not too worried about that. But you see, the other alternative is that Jesus will return. That Jesus promised that the Bible tells us there was the first creation that we have messed up completely because we've walked away from God. But Jesus promises a new creation. In the Bible's words, there'll be no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes if we trust him. And there'll be no more Alzheimer's or cancer or greed or violence or loneliness, or fear. That's the promise. Now here's the sharp edge of it all. Here's why it's so hard to be neutral about it. What Jesus says is, when he returns, there'll be the great division. A division he tells parables about where he says he'll divide the sheep from the goats, the wise from the foolish, the ready from the unready. And the only thing, the only thing that will go to the new creation is people who trust him, love him, know him, live for him. That's the division that will happen. Very hard to be kind of just, well, it's going to happen or it's not. There's kind of no middle ground. Now, why do I believe it? I believe it because of what's happened in the past and because of what the Bible has said. So... um, The Old Testament uh, promised the birth of Jesus in a certain place, in a certain way, promised his life and teaching, uh, his death, his resurrection. Uh, Jesus himself promised that he would be killed and then rise again. And so if that resurrection happened, if that really did happen in history, the, you call the Christ event, his life, death and resurrection, his last promise about his return is very likely, I think, isn't it? It's going to happen. And it's not as if it's an afterthought in the New Testament. I read the other day, someone's estimated 300 times the New Testament mentions the return of Jesus. 300 times. One in every 13 verses. It's, it's there. It's part of the, the fabric. And so if Jesus really is going to return, that's the beating heart of the Christian message. If he's not, the Christian message just falls over like a house of cards. But another obvious question that comes is, that, well, why is he taking so long? You know, the guys who make the T-shirt say, he's dead, it's been 2,000 years, he's not coming back, get over it already. 2,000 years. And my dad dad asked me, well, it's been 2,000 years, haven't heard from him. think, well, what's the answer? Interesting that that kind of mocking attitude that people have was around from the very beginning. So uh, the Apostle Peter 
uh, or Peter, the fisherman who followed Jesus, became one of the Christian leaders, when he writes his second letter to Christian people, look at what he says in chapter 3. He says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Uh, when the Bible says the last days, it means the time between Jesus' first coming and his return. Okay, he's saying people will scoff. Uh, isn't that true? He says, they'll say, where is his coming? He promised, ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. It'll, it'll, and it'll always go on the same. But he goes on to say, don't forget something. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. In other words, God doesn't measure time the way that we do. A thousand years like a day, so really it's like, Jesus was here first time on a Friday and God might judge the world on a Monday. It's really only been a weekend since Jesus was here. A thousand years. And why does God delay? See verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's not like judge the world as a post-it note on God's fridge and he thinks, oh yeah, I've got to get around to that sometime. He's not procrastinating, he he waits to give people time, see the word repentance, to, to turn around, to come back, to find forgiveness uh, because Jesus died for them, to know him and to be ready to meet him. Why do we need to do that? Well, do you notice, let's go back to Luke chapter 12, because Jesus says, uh, no, sorry, let me finish Peter's thing. Peter says, you need to be ready, why? Because, well, but the day of the Lord, meaning the judgment day, Jesus returned. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Everything will be shown for what it is, for what's happened. Do you notice the day of the Lord will be like a thief? Not, not sneaky and unseen. What does he mean? Well, let's go back to Luke 12. The master's return will be unexpected, like a thief. But understand this, Jesus says, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. Some people are very keen to protect their businesses or their house. Uh, I've seen the one on the left uh, in a few shops in Sydney. Warning, is there life after death? Trespass here and find out. And uh, the other one, I actually have a couple of my friends who live in uh, Colorado, I think it is, in the US, and they have that sign on front of their house. Nothing in this house is worth dying for. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's true as well. What, what's the point? Uh, we don't want our house to be robbed, but they don't know when a thief might come. If you knew when the thief would come, you'd have it sorted. I don't know if you've ever been robbed. If you live in Sydney, there's a good chance. You want to just kind of nod or, yeah, okay. I've been robbed a few times. People broken into the car and stolen stuff. What hits you when you come back is, wait a minute, I've, it's just how unexpected it is. You really don't, it's, oh, I've, I've really been. That's what he's saying. It'll be unexpected. And so Jesus says, you also must be ready because the Son of Man, his way of talking about himself, will come at an hour when you do not expect him. You will not expect it. And so Jesus says very clearly, you will not know, you cannot work out when it is that he'll return. In Mark chapter 13, verse 32, Jesus says even he himself then didn't know when, the, when he would return. 
So as soon as anyone tells you they've worked it out, you know that they're full of uh, nonsense. Okay? You know it's not true. I've worked it out. It must be then. Well, pretty much that's the date we can put a line through, I guess. They will not know. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean to be ready, though? You might... You might like to go back and read Luke chapter 12. Everything we've done in the last month is from Luke chapter 12 as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, knowing that he'll he'll die there. Um, And he's talking to his disciples about what it'll look like. You might remember that last week he said, what does being ready mean? It'll mean don't get caught up in living for, for stuff. Like last week we saw, then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. There's nothing wrong with that stuff. It's just don't get caught up with it all. Uh, He says, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Seek God's kingdom. Seek to know God through his king. Seek for other people to know him. That way, be be ready about those things. Trust Jesus in how you live. And what might stop us? Well, you know, generally... It's not bad things that stop people. It's good things that just kind of get in the way and busyness and they get distracted at family and job and hobbies and sports and career and it's just kind of busyness with other things. Now, it's worth asking the question, well, wait a minute, as Jesus tells this story, is he talking to just his disciples or is he saying this to everybody? And that's exactly the question that Peter is disciple asks. Peter asks, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And Jesus says, kind of says, wrong question, let me tell you again. Uh, How to be ready. He says this, the Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? Do you notice notice how Jesus refers to um, uh, his followers? as a manager. And and I guess that the the contrast is it's not that we own the stuff, it's we're just managing someone else's property. Um, uh, Someone else's property, you know, the food and the time and all of that kind of stuff. Everything that we've got, money, opportunities, gifts, resources, actually belongs to God. We're just managing it. And Jesus is asking the question... How, how are you going with managing it? You're being a good manager, kind of given that the boss may come back any time. And he says, well, it'll be good. It'll be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so well when he returns. Surely I tell you, you'll put him in charge of all his possessions. Can you see, if you're a good manager and a good servant with the stuff that the boss has given you, Time, gifts, opportunities, money, abilities, all that kind of thing. If you're a good manager, can you see what the reward will be one day? You'll get to manage even more stuff. The reward for serving Jesus is that you'll get to serve him even more. And it's kind of one of the beautiful ironies of the, of the Christian message. It's as you serve Jesus, as you trust him in how you live and serve him, The more you do that, the more you find joy and life. And that's what Jesus is saying. He'll come back, if you're ready, even more. you get a promotion, if you like. But then just to put a sharp edge on things, he says how to be unready. 
how to be unready, he says, but suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. You notice here he's saying, this person here kind of believes, but they're not, they're not living the right way. And as usual, it's not... Jesus isn't saying, oh, this person, their watch was five minutes slow, or their, their lamp just happened to run out, or their year plan wasn't quite up to speed. So he gets drunk, beat people, that kind of... This is really bad. A clear, obvious disobedience. And the bad news, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he's not aware of, and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. There's gentle Jesus, meek and mild, saying there will be a terrible judgment day. And considering these, these are those who kind of called themselves Jesus people, but weren't actually ready, weren't living the right way, clearly didn't have trust in him, and he's saying that great division will happen, even among them. Then the final thing Jesus says is, the master's return, um, privilege brings responsibility. So if you've had privileges, they come with responsibilities. I'll show you what he means. He says, the servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready and does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. You know, you, you will be punished. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. The more you've known, the more will be expected of you. And then he goes on to say, from everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now here, I used to think, is he saying different things? Now he's saying the same thing in, in uh, like the same thing twice. Okay? I don't think there's any difference between being given and being entrusted. He's just saying, if you've been given great opportunities, if you've been given much, if you know the truth, you've had the truth, Jesus will expect more. Come the last day. Okay, just a couple of things to uh, finish up, and then there might be questions or comments. Um, how do you serve Jesus? How do you be ready? Uh, I've got five quick rules for you. Here they are. You ready? First one, um, you're only allowed to drive a cheap car and it can't have more than four cylinders. <laughs> That's one. Uh, two, you can't buy any nice clothes or look fashionable. Uh, three, you can't live in a house that you enjoy and strictly no air conditioning. Uh, four, you're not allowed to go on fun holidays. And five, you can't get involved in sport or music. Right, now I'm glad you laughed, okay, a little bit. Of course Jesus doesn't make rules like that. It's not the one. He treats us like adults, okay. Um, what's he want? Jesus says to be ready is to live with him as our Lord and Master, to trust him in how we live, to trust him for forgiveness, friendship with God, and then trust him day by day in how we live. And to remember that. And you're able to enjoy those good things. Right? Drive whatever car you like, have nice clothes, a house, all that sort of stuff. That's fine. But being ready means remembering one thing. That's this. The only thing that will go to the new creation, if this is true, the only thing that will go to the new creation are men and women, people who love and trust and serve Jesus. Everything else, everyone gets left behind or sent away. 
cars don't make it, clothes don't make it, houses don't make it, sports, holidays, music, whatever it is, doesn't make it. Only those who know him and trust him. Now, doesn't that really help clarify what's important? All those other things are fun and necessary and to be enjoyed, but they're all trivia when you actually understand Jesus' return and the judgment day. What's really important? All right, uh, first question, Al. Let me sure I read this out right. Why is Jesus' return delayed, given that only the living can be saved, and a delayed return simply means more people are being born? Um, it's, God plan, it's God's plan to bring a countless number, like, from every tribe and nation and language to know him. And as God has waited, more and more people have been brought to know Jesus. And uh, what Peter says, God waits generation by generation for people to come to know him rather than to bring the judgment day. I, I think that's, that's what the Bible says. That's why God waits. I, can't see any, I cannot see from the Bible any reason why Jesus may not return this afternoon. Okay? I think that's the... understand who Jesus is and bringing them to himself. So if you can understand the message of Jesus, if, if God's giving you that understanding, it's his kindness. And that God, yeah, God has people from every tribe and nation and language and God is doing that. Um, as I understand it, the Gallup poll organisation reckons last week there were 1.2 billion people in church meetings of some kind around the planet. 1.2 billion. So, yeah, it's it's a big plan that God's got. Okay? And it's his, if you can understand the Christian message, it's his kindness. He's at work in your life. So say yes and walk towards him. That's right. But why particularly, for how long, why he's done that? He's the boss. That's what he's doing, working out that plan. But it's his plan to create this massive community that will love and serve Jesus and care for one another. Right, the next question was... Um how does this teaching, what you, I'm assuming what you just talked about, align with salvation by grace? It sounds a little bit like salvation by works. Uh, okay. How does this align with salvation by grace? It sounds a little bit uh, by salvation by works. The Bible says that you're right with God because of his grace. Another word for grace might be generosity. And it's only God's generosity that makes it right. Trust Jesus and there's free forgiveness. But trust, if it's real will result in a changed life. Okay? It's not your changed life that makes you right with God. It's not your changed life that, in the Bible's terms, saves you, if you like. But real trust or real faith will, will result in a different life. To say, I trust Jesus as my Lord and Master, 
that I just happen to ignore him is a nonsense right, in the Bible's terms. Real trust will change your life. Uh, if you trust Jesus is to say, I believe Jesus is wise and I believe Jesus is good and I believe he'll look after me and so I'm going to live his way. Now, we still all mess it up and I disobey him and get it wrong every day. But it's kind of a question of which way you're facing. You're facing walking towards him, trusting him, or away from him and ignoring him. And what Jesus is saying is to be ready is to keep on trusting him, keep on putting that into practice day by day. Okay, so you're, you're saved in the Bible. So saved means right with God. You're right with God by faith alone. But the faith that saves you isn't, or isn't alone. It'll result in a changed life. If it's real, it will change your life. Happy to bounce that around? Okay. Um, Al, I've, oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Al, I've, um, I've been in a, uh, a lot of different churches and I've heard different views on the return of Jesus. How can I know which one is right? Okay. Okay. There's lots of different, um, there's lots of different, uh, how can I put it? theories or timetables, if you like, about the return of Jesus and some different aspects. So people believe different things, for example, about the millennium, meaning the end of the book of Revelation mentions a 1,000-year reign of Jesus. And so Christian people kind of have different opinions about how that fits in, the timing, that sort of thing. I can understand why, because much of what the Bible says about the return of Jesus is, is symbolic, or in terms of parables, that kind of thing. Uh, and depending on how you take the symbolism, how you read some of those things, um, you can come up with a different opinion. Every Christian person I know who takes the Bible seriously and as, as their authority believes, one, that Jesus will return, two, that it will be unexpected, three, there will be the judgment day. Okay. Now, where the millennium fits in and some other whole lot of other details... People can disagree. People shouldn't argue about it, okay? But Christians do. We'll find something to argue about. Uh, so I think that's a that's the difference. Now I have my own particular <laughs> views, but if that's wrong when Jesus comes back, I'm more than happy to change my views. Okay, whatever he decides. Okay, uh, if you want to talk specifics about different, it's called different millennial views. Um, uh, happy to talk about that. My mother has a different view to what my mum had. A di- Sorry, mum's got a mum's got Alzheimer's. She's you know she's alive. Mum had a different view to me. Um, so you know, um, you know, I can say more about the millennium if you want to talk about that. I understand that um, we should be ready regardless, and we don't know the hour. But are are there things in the Bible say that there are certain indications? Yeah, it's a little bit tricky, and people would disagree with me on this. So you weigh it up for yourself. Remember that the essentials that I said: Jesus will return; will be unexpected; the judgment day will come. Uh, I think part of the reason why people have looked for signs is that what the Bible describes is what uh, the nature of life will be like between the first coming of Jesus and his return. And particularly the book of Revelation is about that. So there will be wars and rumours of wars, there will be earthquake and famine and tyranny, 
uh, Christian people will be persecuted, uh, there'll be those who set themselves up in opposition to God, that kind of thing. Every century, even every generation, has looked around and seen those things and people have thought, ah, the end must be very near. Well, in the Bible terms, actually it is. But, but is it a right... It's because every generation has those kind of signs. There'll be those things where I think people have thought, you know, the... the you know, the beasts that are mentioned in Revelation, that's China or it's Russia or it was Germany, no, it was the Roman Empire, that, that kind of thing. I think that's why people have thought the end must be really near. It's also the fact that the New Testament keeps saying the end is near. It just hasn't come yet. Okay? I think that's it's part of the symbol. It depends how you read the symbolism in Revelation. Um, yeah, I think I'll stop there. That's, yeah. uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to finish with one. I'm sorry we can can you please clarify Luke 12, verses 47 through 48? It seems to say there are different levels of judgment. I thought sin is sin and judgment is judgment. Can you clarify that? Okay. Uh, no, I think, I think Jesus is saying there will be different levels of judgment. And, okay, here you go. You? Jesus teaches there will be rewards in heaven and levels of glory in heaven for people and that there will be levels of judgment. Uh, he says it here in terms of the, the more that you, you'll be judged on what you've done, but the more you've known, the more will be expected of you. James chapter 3, verse 1, not many of us should... The verse puts uh, unease into me. Not many of us should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because those of us who teach will be judged more strictly. Matthew chapter 11 says, Woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, because you had all these miracles... Um, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah, the great pagan cities, than for you, Matthew chapter 11. So there'll be degrees of punishment and there'll be degrees of glory. So what we do matters. There's the great division between those who trusted Jesus and not, but how you live matters. That you read the Gospels, make up your own mind, but that's how I read them. Quite, quite a statement to finish on. <laughs> okay, yeah, well... You see, Russell, I know you don't want me to repeat the talk, but uh, you, you can't actually be neutral about this. Either this is the end point of everything that's been created and eternity, or you've just wasted a lunch hour. You, you, it, it can't be both. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.